0: Go to let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name. Remember, this is the Tower of Babel. They got together and they put all of their genius, they put all of their, their philosophers, they put all of their builders, their architects, every person that could give to it, they said, Let's come together and let's build us a city that we can make a name for ourselves. Isn't that what every country is doing? the kings the kingdoms of this world are built by man for the glory of man Nebuchadnezzar speaks I would say for every king governor president tyrant demagogue emperor that has ever stood in a position of power when he stands up in Daniel 4:30 and says is not this great babylon that i have built for the house of the kingdom by the power by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty, you remember that? Nebuchadnezzar gets out and he's totally impressed with himself. This is the kingdoms of men. However, the kingdom of Christ is far different. It is established by God himself. It has different goals and purposes. Moses wandered, excuse me, Abraham wandered through Palestine looking for this kingdom. Do you remember? Remember? It says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham, that he traveled about looking for a city who had foundations, whose builder and maker were who? God. Well, what kind of a city does that look like? By the way, did Abraham find the city? Did Abraham find the city? It's a trick question. That's why you're not answering me. He didn't find it in his life, did he? But did he find it? Absolutely. He inherited it because of his faith. Believers in Christ, then, as we live on this earth, believers in Jesus Christ are part of both kingdoms. We are part of man's kingdom. We are part of Christ's kingdom. We are, by nature and by our humanity, a part of the kingdom of men. We live in the United States of America. By God's grace and through his adoption at salvation, we have had our citizenship, in a sense, transferred into a heavenly kingdom. You are now a citizen of heaven. You are a child of God. Christ is our true king. That's what the church is, right? The church gathers together, and in this church, we aren't Americans or Mexicans or Canadians or and I won't start naming them because I'll never name them all, right? There's no ethnic distinction within the church. We are all part of Christ's kingdom. We are Christians. We are children of God. This is the beauty of the church. It's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is much broader than just a place. It's not even just heaven. It is the place where Christ reigns supreme. There are two places this morning that you take part in where Christ should reign supreme. And first of all, that is in your heart. And second of all, that is in this church. These come together and they make up the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God includes heaven one day. The kingdom of God is much broader than a physical location. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter three and verse three, Verily, verily I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was saying, What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, You gotta be born again. And Nicodemus not being not not playing games with Jesus, says, Wait a second, how can I enter into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus saying, No, 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 that's the earthly kingdom. You must be born from above to enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again into Christ's family through the miracle of salvation. Jesus said in verse 5, "'Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit.'" Paul goes on and he carries out the same teaching that Jesus gave to Nicodemus to the Colossians and he explains how a person is born again into the kingdom of heaven. If you today are a true Christian, it doesn't have anything to do with your parents. It doesn't have to do with your grandparents. It doesn't have to do with the fact that you're an American. It doesn't have to do with the fact that you are actually sitting in a church this morning. If you are a child of God, Colossians chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 and 14 tell us how you became part of the kingdom of Christ. Listen. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet or able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Let me ask you this morning, have you had your sins forgiven? You're a sinner. I don't think it would take any difficulty for all of us to admit that we have done wrong. We have sinned. We have violated God's holy character. We are sinners. And because we are sinners, we are condemned... And not allowed into the kingdom of God. No sin enters heaven. No sin is a part of God's kingdom. And so the next question is, if you recognize you're a sinner, have you been forgiven? Have you been forgiven? Well, Have you ever asked forgiveness of somebody and they gave you the cold shoulder? You really want them to forgive you and you're like, I'm so sorry. And they're like, huh prove it. Oh, what do I need to do? I don't know, but you're going to have to deal with my bad attitude until I feel like I've forgiven you, right? Aren't we glad that God is not like that? Do you know that God has forgiven us, not based on ourselves? Have you ever had a kid ask, sorry, and then do the same thing again, and say sorry again, and do it again? Ah! When kids come into my office here at school and say sorry, especially if it includes the damage of property, I say this, sorry doesn't fix it, but $100 will. (laughs) We say sorry, you know, kind of as, oh, sorry, I guess I'm not guilty anymore. No, 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 right? Let me ask you this morning, why did God forgive you? It wasn't because of you. God forgives believers, sinners who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, whom God loves and God has offered forgiveness through his name. Are you forgiven? Do you know for sure that if you were to die that all of your sin, even those that you may not have remembered, have been forgiven? Listen, if you're going to be a part of God's kingdom, you have to have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of your sins. But if you are forgiven, you are a Christian. You have been given entrance into heaven. You are part of the kingdom of God, and no man, will find this out at the very end, no man can take that away from you. The new birth totally changes our citizenship in these kingdoms. We are now taken from what was called the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of His dear Son. We actually then become strangers and pilgrims in the earth. Now, I don't travel a lot, but I have traveled into Mexico, and you find out very quickly that you are a stranger and, in a sense, a pilgrim when you visit a foreign country, right? I mean... When I was in high school, we didn't have to take foreign language, right? And so I grew up thinking that if you just say it slower and louder, it translates into every language. (laughs) And I went to Aramisio, Mexico many, many years ago, and I was trying to buy a Coca-Cola from this vendor, and he was trying to explain to me, if you don't bring me a glass bottle, you can't take a glass bottle. And I was saying all sorts of things like pesos and... Other words that I guess I knew, right? And, and he was saying, no. Finally, said, he took the soda that I had, he poured it into a Ziploc bag, put a straw in it, and handed it to me. <laughs> I was a stranger, a foreigner, right? Do you know, Christians, we are strangers and foreigners in the United States of America. <gasps> this is the home of the free and the land of the brave, and I'm American! No, if you're a Christian, you are a stranger In a pilgrim, because you belong to the kingdom of Christ. And in this world, which is passing away, there's something different. There's something foreign when you live for Christ. We are totally transformed in our identity, we are transformed in our purposes and in our goals. Jesus urges the citizens of his kingdom to seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6. The man or woman who seeks first the kingdom of God will live while living in the kingdom of man will be set apart. Everything about them will set them apart. Right? Do you remember this as Jesus prays for us as we live in the kingdom of men that we would be set apart through his word. The goals and purposes of a Christian are for the kingdom of God and they are in opposition to the kingdoms of man. In fact, 1 John chapter 2 tells us that we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And why we feel so out of place is because everything in this world, everything in this world is passing away. And he says this, love not this world nor the things that are in this world. If any man love this world, the love of the Father is not in him. They are so diametrically opposed that you cannot absolutely love everything about our country and the kingdom of men and be a Christian. He says this, if the love of the world is in you, the love of the Father is not. And he says this, everything that is in the world can be categorized into this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Do you know what the American dream is? The American dream is that through opportunity and hard work, you can have a better life. And, I mean, people came from all over the globe to experience the American dream. But let me tell you about the American dream. It dies. It's corrupting. It actually takes the children of those people and they are entitled, and they have everything they need and everything they want, and they don't need God. Maybe it wasn't the children, maybe it was the grandchildren, maybe it was the great-grandchildren. But listen, the kingdoms of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it says this, they are all passing away. Oh, but Christian, we're part of a kingdom that is eternal. And when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, oh, all those little things that you'll need to live on this globe and the kingdoms of men will be given to you. God will take care of those things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of man lives by what he sees. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. The kingdoms of men are naturalists. They believe that if I, if I can see it, touch it, feel it, hear it, see it, it's real. And if I can't, it's not real. And it's not worth living for. And when we die, we die. It's all there is. The song that the children sang for us actually comes from the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. And what did he say about all of the kingdom that he had amassed to himself? He says, it is vanity. Vanity. And it vexes my spirit. You see, even Solomon was a foreigner in his own kingdom. What should have made Solomon the happiest man in the world vexed his soul because he actually was a believer in Jesus Christ who was trying to live for a foreign country, his own. In the kingdom of God, man lives by faith in the unseen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, While we look not on the things which are seen, but on the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. Eternal. The people of God's kingdom are in need of constant reminder of this truth. The things which are seen... We, see, we seem to think that's all there is. And the people around us that are not in the kingdom of God, they live for these things. They give themselves to these things. They, 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 they work themselves to the bone to gain more of these things, and they all pass away. If the citizens of the kingdom of heaven are not vigilant to seek first the things that are unseen, the kingdom of God, we will waste our God-given lives pursuing that which will pass away. Remember what Solomon said? I've done all this work. I've amassed all this wealth. I've created this massive kingdom, and it's going to end up being somebody else's. And that person will probably end up losing it. Right? What's the point? By the way, these two kingdoms are in un- or irreconcilable conflict, are they not? Do you ever live with warfare going on in your heart? where you should put your time and effort, where, what you should love. Do you ever struggle that? It's because these two kingdoms are in conflict. They never hold hands. They never have the same goals. They never pursue the same purposes. And so as we live in this world, as citizens of heaven, there is a constant struggle and conflict in our hearts for what kingdom is the real one? Colossians chapter 3 says this, If ye then be risen with Christ, that means born again, now a citizen of the kingdom of God, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. He said, look, you need to be dead to these things. Be dead, set your affections on the eternal. These kingdoms conflict. So what I love about this passage is how Jesus sets before us an example of the way we are to battle in this conflict. Look at what he says at verse 36. Jesus answered and said this, My kingdom is not of this world. And then he gives us so much insight in how we are to live when he says this. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Hmm. How are we as Christians who live in 20th century America supposed to live as true citizens of the kingdom of God in this place we call home? Are we as Christians to seek to take back the kingdom of men and make it the kingdom of God? Nobody's saying anything, so I'll just read it again. Are we as Christians to seek to take back the kingdom of men and make it the kingdom of God? Are we capable of doing that? We are not. Is that Jesus' desire? No. He said, if it was my desire, my people would fight for it. Remember Peter in the garden? He took out a sword and he cut off that servant's ear. Why? Because Peter was thinking that Jesus' kingdom was of this world and that he needed to fight to keep his king free. And Jesus said to Peter, put away your sword. My kingdom is not of this world. I don't need you to fight Rome for me. Hmm. Can we, through the avenues of man, Christianize the kingdom of man? No, we cannot. The Bible says we cannot. Are we as Christians then to, to isolate ourselves into refugee camps Cloister ourselves away from the world and hold on till the king comes back. No, the Bible says no. Wait a second. If we're not to be assimilated into the culture, and if we're not to isolate ourselves from the culture, what are we supposed to do? Good question. Do you remember what Jesus prayed for us in John 17? If you have your Bible open, just turn back one chapter. Look what Jesus prays for us in John 17, verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which will believe on me through their word. What is Jesus saying? God, keep them from the evil. That would be assimilating. Ah, we're just, let's just, you know, we just got to take advantage of the time that we have. We're Americans, right? Thank God I live in America in the 20th century, and I get to take part of all the blessings that we have. Let's go whole hog for that. Okay? No. He says, keep them from the evil. Okay? And then he's, well, he doesn't say, Lord, take them and isolate them. No, he says what? Sanctify them. What does that mean? It means to set us apart within our own culture as Americans. Set us apart for his kingdom. Through what? The Word of God. The Word of God sets us apart from being assimilated into our culture, but it also keeps us from being isolated into little convents of Christians. We're to be living amongst Americans as Christians set apart in their hearts to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That should be you, right? Jesus, when he was on earth, did not assimilate into the culture of man. I hate it when people make Jesus out to be a common man who spoke about God while golfing and having beer with his buddies. Hey, he was just one of us. Now, is there truth in that? He was completely human. Did Jesus assimilate into the culture of men? No. Never did he sin, and never was he okay with sin. Jesus, when he was on earth, did not isolate himself from the culture. He spoke to the woman of the well, the prostitute, the tax collector, the adulterer, the Pharisee. He ministered the gospel of the kingdom of God to everyone that came across his path. He ministered on a physical plane. He healed and he fed, right? But he only did it for the purpose of bringing that. In fact, there was a point where he stopped healing and he stopped feeding. He preached to them just the gospel. As a Christian in the United States of America, we must know how to respond like our king. We must know how to live like our king. We must know how to engage the enemy in warfare like our king did. Jesus was not fighting Pilate, nor was he fighting Annas and Caiaphas. He was simply obeying the word of God. And so Jesus then promotes himself as the king of truth. Look at verse 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king? What's the answer? Yes. And he says this, You said it. You're right on the money. I am a king. To this end was I born... And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Listen, we as citizens of a country whose king came to declare truth must recognize the importance of truth in our warfare. Listen, morality without doctrine is just base level pragmatism. Morality without doctrine Doctrine is just pragmatism. What does that mean? Listen, if we're not careful, we can try to convince men of the earthly kingdom to, to, to live like Jesus for the point of making their life in their fallen kingdom better. It's moralism. It's this, hey, do you want a happy home? Be a Christian. Do you want a good marriage? Be a Christian. Do you want to live apart from STDs? Well, be a Christian. Do you want to have peace on earth? Be a Christian. Do you want love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness? Be a Christian. Do you have problems? Be a Christian. And the moralistic aspect of biblical teaching can somehow give to you the blessings of the kingdom of God? No. No. That's not how it works. By the way, we are seeing in our day and age more than ever the decline of that thinking. The decline of that thinking. To a blind world in conflict, it may sound nice, but if they don't come to faith in Jesus Christ, they will never have the blessings of the kingdom of God. I mean, listen, if I were to promote all the blessings of a happy home, wonderful marriage, kids that obey, hard-working ethics, these are all biblical, right? And then, you know, uh, do you want to burn in fire forever? No. Do you want to go to heaven? Heaven is paradise. There's no tears. There's no sickness. How many of you want that? Raise your hand. Yeah, some of you are like, me, you got me, Right? And unfortunately, that's the problem is we try, you know, we try to promote this idea that listen, you can have all the blessings, right? Just be a Christian. We've got to be careful. Listen, morality without doctrine is just pragmatism. Some of the most moral people I know, the nicest people I know, are not Christian. Uh Uh-oh. Doctrine is foundational to the kingdom of Christ. Jesus came to show us truth. A man must come to hear and believe the truth to be in the kingdom of God. The blessings of God's kingdom are only for those who believe. Now listen, God. we've talked about this on Wednesday nights. God gave us marriage. And God gave marriage to all men, not just Christians. And you can enjoy the blessings of marriage, though you're not a Christian. But I tell you what, you cannot enjoy the blessings of the kingdom of God unless you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Paul understood this when he went to Corinth. And when he got to Corinth, he did not address all the wickedness of the immoral lifestyle. Corinthians were known for being immoral people. And he didn't go there and say, hey, you better quit your fornication. And you better quit this paganism. No, what did he do? Well, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul came in and he addressed sin as sin. He addressed the judgment of God against sin. And then the only answer was the simple message of faith in Christ. He didn't set up a coalition to stop temple prostitution. Which is wicked. But he recognized that if you get rid of temple prostitution, people aren't all of a sudden Christians. They're pagans that don't commit temple prostitution and will go to hell one day, right? So look at 1 Corinthians 2, and verse 2, he says, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling... And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom, wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Why is this so important? If we're not careful, we will find ourselves fighting the wrong battle. We as American Christians must be careful not to preach morality without the doctrinal basis of Jesus Christ and his salvation that he offers. Morality will never take root in a pagan kingdom because the king of truth is not ruling in the hearts of those citizens. In the warnings of one commentator, he said this, Beware lest you mistake the fruit for the root and the symptom for the cause. Let me ask you this. Do you agree with this quote? Moral and political activism is the work of the gospel, and the, world of the go- and the work of the gospel is a plan of action to save our nation. Let me read it again. Moral and political activism is the work of the gospel, and the work of the gospel is a plan of action to save our nation. This is actually demonic. How devastating to the purpose that our king, who stood before Pilate and said, My kingdom is not of this world, and my citizens are not fighting to free me. They're not fighting to get rid of Roman taxation. They're not fighting to put the Jews back on top. C.S. Lewis understood it. He wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and it's a fictitious conversation between demons who are supposed to be holding Christians back and tripping people up. And as they consider how best to do damage to the cause of Christ, the plan is to keep God's people preoccupied with moral and political busyness. Let's focus on these things so that the gospel will not be preached. Why are we trying to Christianize the kingdom of this world? Let me ask you this. July 4th is coming. It's like the number one holiday for paper plates, right? (laughs) If you live at the Roland House, every day is a paper plate day, but... Think about it. A paper plate. You use it for the purpose of doing what with it? Throwing it away. (gasps) Oh, a perfectly good plate? What's wrong with you? Right? And so, what would happen if you take your paper plates and you put them in your dishwasher? Extra hot. You know, extra clean. Can you get the paper plate clean? In a sense, yes, but in a sense, it's destroyed. It does, it's not a plate anymore. Okay? And, and, and listen, I'm not trying to like and don't take the illustration too far. The kingdom of men cannot be redeemed or reclaimed apart from the work of the gospel. You can't just wipe it clean and use it again. You can't just take abortion and get rid of it. You can't just take homosexuality and transgender issues and wipe them off the plate and have a good plate. No, something has to change about the nature of, of a person. And if we're not careful, we'll spend our time scrubbing paper plates and not preaching the only thing that can change a person from the kingdom of man that is being destroyed and will go to hell to the kingdom of God where they will live forever. We as Christians had better be careful that we don't get caught up in thinking that somehow we can change the moral fabric of the kingdoms of men into a place now that honors God. There is only one man and one woman that can honor God, and those are those who have put their trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's why we're saying it's still the cross. It's still the cross. Jesus stood before Pilate, not as an advocate for income equality, not to set up health clinics, not to feed the hungry, not to get rid of racism, not to combat abortion and domestic violence and substance abuse. Those were all fruit. He came to take care of the root. Man has to be born again. Man has to be saved by the gospel. To alleviate income equality, Health crisis, hunger, racism, abortion, domestic violence, substance abuse. To eliminate all of those is to still leave a man going to hell. In the past, we've likened it to the church getting preoccupied with handing out water bottles to people in a race. And it's a good thing to help people in a race. But if you recognize that the people running by you grabbing water are about to run off of a cliff, why are you trying to hydrate them as they perish? What should you do? You better stand in front of them and wave your hands and say, Don't go this way. Turn around. Repent. And in fact, we realize the dehydration that comes from sin is a God-given blessing to force men to recognize they need to stop and repent. Suicide is a terrible thing, but listen, why are people suicidal? Because they don't have the hope of Christ. Think about it. Think about this. How many people could Jesus have healed if he had convinced Pilate that he was better to be kept alive? Do you think Jesus could have claimed his innocence before Pilate in such a way that convinced Pilate to not allow him to be killed? We're talking about Jesus here. What if Jesus, what if Pilate had allowed Jesus to to feed people and heal people? How much better would this world have been if Jesus had set up a kingdom on earth and and, and forced Pilate into submission and, and used the Roman government to actually get rid of sin? How awesome would that be? It would have been awful. Why? Because they all would die and they all would go to hell. Jesus had to die on the cross. That was the supreme act of love. To save them from the root of the problem, not... The rotten fruit. Listen, I say all this because we are his people and he has not called us to fight that battle. Listen, if we are going to learn from Jesus Christ before Pilate, we had better realize what is the right war. Are we fighting the right war and are we fighting it in the right way? Listen, Isn't it interesting how certain groups of people can come together for certain things? Like, people that are enemies get together. You know, the only unity that's in the Middle East is for the sake of getting rid of the United States of America. They hate each other. They kill each other all the time. Unless there's like a, I forget the quote, like, my enemy is my friend as long as we both share an enemy. Right? I messed that one up, but all right. Listen, if we start to battle against the rotten fruit of America, like transgender issues and abortion and political corruption, we can find odd groups of people who will come together and fight with us. Can we not? Christians, Catholics, Mormons, Muslims, they can all come together to fight abortion. And we would be tempted to think that what unites us is greater than that which divides us. But that's the opposite of the truth. What divides Christians from Catholics and Mormons and Muslims is the words of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, to this end was I born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness of the truth. Doctrine divides. Absolutely. And if you don't have fellowship over the doctrine, what do you think you're fellowshipping over? How can you get along with people just for a political campaign? We are coming into 2024, an election year. All sorts of concessions will be made in the name of saving America, right? I mean, if you're following with me, you should be like, yes, I've been a part of it, right? Let me, let me remind you that it was a year ago that Roe versus Wade was overturned. Praise the Lord, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Is America more moral? Are we closer to the kingdom of God? In fact, what, you know that when the pendulum swings one way, it just swings back the other way, almost worse. I don't remember even a year ago having such transgender issues. Do you think that transgenderism might be a pushback against Roe versus Wade, maybe? I mean, it's, how many of you ever played the game Whack-A-Mole? We could play Whack-A-Mole all day long and the church does it and you know what they've missed that it doesn't matter how many of those things you whack everyone who doesn't know christ as savior is going to hell if we think that we can take back america for jesus christ we are delusional America was never, let me explain it before you walk out, America was never Jesus Christ in the sense that it was Christian. America is a kingdom of this world. Jesus was never the king of America. America is under the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Who do we think we are? Now, listen, I'm, I'm about to make a. Some of you are about to explode. Listen, I am a red-blooded American. I love this country. I vote with all my heart, mind, and body, and I'm raising up more people to vote than you. Uh Uh-huh. So be careful. All right. I hate the moral decay of our country. It grieves my spirit. And every chance I get, I will fight the moral corruption. But listen, I am not going to give my life to fight moral corruption. I want to give my life for the gospel. Do you know that there are conservative, homosexual, political groups against abortion and for Trump? Did the air conditioner stop working? Listen, listen, conservative, politically conservative, homosexual, political groups that would stand against abortion because it's wrong and vote for Donald Trump. You'd say, well, uh, there. it's got to be a small, yeah, probably a small, but you know what? Look what, look what? look what unifies, right? And are we willing to make the concession of truth to be a part of a group that fights abortion? I'm going to fight abortion every chance I get, but listen, it better not be to the compromising of my king, the king of truth. And I better recognize that it doesn't matter if all homosexuality leaves and all abortion goes, and I don't know, whoever you can think of as the most righteous person in the United States, probably not Donald Trump, right, was the president, hell will still receive everyone who does not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This this is the beauty of the church. Do you know there are people today in communist countries that have suffered underneath atheism and the, the consequences of atheism for generation after generation after generation who will have generations of people in heaven because they trusted in Jesus Christ. One of the greatest lies of the day is that if biblical Christians will just lay down their dogma, for a greater cause. If we will just, if we would be willing to stop preaching our divisive doctrine so that we can work together, we will make our country a better place. What a live the devil. What is the mission of the church? Is it moral? No. Yes, we need to be salt and light. Yes, we need to stand against injustice. Yes, we should protect the innocent. But do you realize that if we could take the Ten Commandments and make them the law of the land and somehow enforce the Ten Commandments with a police force, what would it do? It won't make one single person a Christian because the law can't make you righteous. It can't make a nation righteous. The mission of the church is to preach our King, Jesus Christ, the King of truth, who died on a cross to save us from our sin. Listen, the kingdom where Christ is King, there is justice, equity, mercy, and holiness. And that's why if Jesus is the King of your heart, you love equity, justice, mercy. You rejoice in those things. But listen, you recognize they can only be truly expressed by someone who has Jesus as King in their heart. Is the mission of the church political? No. We should vote. We should promote leadership who protect the innocent. Christians should be active in their communities in which they live. But do you realize if we could all go back to Mayberry where the sheriffs go to church, if we could go back 70, 80, or 150 years ago, America was still not a Christian country. And Christians were still aliens and pilgrims 150 years ago in this country. The mission of the church is to preach Christ. And in the miracle of salvation, people become citizens of heaven and they are set apart from this passing away and immoral world. The mission of the church is spiritual. My kingdom, Jesus said, is not of this world. We need to realize that we are in a war Not against issues or bad leaders, we are in a war for the souls of men. Why does Calvary Christian School exist? It is not to put out kids who will vote conservative. It is not to give a better education so they'll have better jobs, so they can make more money and totally corrupt the next generation. Why does Calvary Christian School exist? It is to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ through different subjects to every child that comes through our doors. The handbook makes them moral. No, it makes them compliant. And I, if you've been here on a tour in the last ten years... I've told you this on the, on the tour. The handbook is not a Bible. It can only curb behavior. And if your child were to keep this handbook perfectly, they could still split hell wide open if they don't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We realize that to fight this war, we must rely on the power of the gospel. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse three: "For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Let me tell you this, as you get ready to vote in 24, you better take everything that you 're thinking and make it subservient to the truth of Jesus Christ. You better take it all and make it sit underneath the gospel. And if it can't sit underneath the gospel, throw it out. I told you this if you were part of our Wednesday night study, one a person a few years back said, "Oh, you're just a one person, you're a one issue candidate." Because I was talking about I would never vote for a leader that supported abortion. Yes, because it doesn't sit under the gospel. I can't vote for that. But that has to pour itself over into many things. Well, we'll never have a perfect person. No, but i tell you what. When I vote, I vote for a person who can align as closely as all the candidates, the closest one that would align to biblical moral virtue. Why? Because it's from God. Will it make our country Christian? No. I'm not voting for a pastor. Right? But I also better be careful if I put any hope that that man will help our country be better. I am in the wrong battle and I'm fighting it the wrong way. I better get out and proclaim the gospel. It bothers me when a person is so politically active, but never preaches the gospel to their neighbors. You'll put a sign in your yard. I'm getting ready to put my flag up and if you've seen it, it's big. But it does mean, what is that if I don't speak The gospel. It shows that I am totally, totally wrong about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of America. I had better be careful that if I'm going to get all bent out of shape over talk radio, that maybe I should get bent out of shape about what my kids are doing in their free time too. And what I'm allowing into their hearts and minds. Listen, the word of God what an amazing thing. The word of God is quick, right? Does anybody, do you know what that means? It doesn't mean it's fast. It means it's living. That word in the Greek means living. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the dividing center of soul and spirit. It'll show me who I am. It'll show me who my neighbors are. It'll show us who we need. And that's Jesus Christ. I had better be using the word of God Jesus said, I am the king, and I am the king of truth, and the people who follow me follow truth. Don't water it down. Don't dress it up. Don't coddle it. I am sick and tired of Christian preachers who apologize for the truth they're about to preach. Now, I know this might offend some of you, and I don't mean to be offensive. Yes, I do. I've offended almost every American in here, including myself. I want a better country, but I better want a better country. I went to chapel one time, and the guy spent 30 minutes talking about biblical manliness. I'm interested. I'm one of them. I want to be one of them. And for 20 minutes, he told me, listen, I know people disagree, and that's okay. And so by the time he got to the 10 minutes of telling me the Bible, I didn't, have, I didn't care for what he had to say. You know why? He had just told me it wasn't important. He had just told me that if it offends me, that's okay. Don't worry, you know. It's, it's, you know. I don't need anything like that. that doesn't change. Everybody walks out of there thinking, "I'm all right. He's okay. I don't like his opinion. Let's move on." That's not the gospel. The gospel is an offense. In fact, Jesus said, "They're going to hate you because they hate me." And if you go out and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, you'll be hated even by moral Americans. It's a lie of the devil that Christian message needs secular tactics to make it work. It's a lie of the devil that Christian message is more powerful in the hands of talented people. Some of you refuse to give the gospel because you think you can't do it. That's just called disobedience. Remember Aaron or Moses? He said, I can't talk. God had just changed his staff into a snake. Some of you just need to say, God called me to do it, I better do it. I may really mess it up the first time. Well, good, get past the first time because the second time comes and keep going. Don't excuse your lack of witness because that's not how God gifted you. If you're a child of the king, you have the truth and that's what it takes. It's a lie of the devil that the Christian message can be attractive to the kingdom of this world. Right? Oh, that churches would get that. Why are you putting on a show? Just tell them the truth. Quit trying to entice them into salvation. No man chooses God. Right? God must draw them to himself, and he does it through the gospel, not through worship teams. He does it through the truth. So if you're a worship team person, make sure you're singing the truth. It's a lie of the devil that the world can be a better place if we lay down our arms or our doctrine and unite with others on the more important things. Can there be anything more important? Now, listen, I'm not trying to steal your July 4th holiday. I'll be here next Sunday night to play volleyball as an American. But listen to this God is not more interested in the United States than he is in Mexico or Venezuela or Putin's Russia. Read your Bibles. America is no more special to God than any other country. God's word was at one time a part of our foundation, and our founding principles, and we are sitting in a time of blessing because of that. I will never deny that. By the way, this is why we're terrible. You know, we go to other countries and try to be the police and give them our freedom. Do you know part of our freedom is because our founding fathers used the word of God in their policies? You think you can take the blessings of that and give it to an Islamic country? Are you kidding me? I am thankful for the Bible and the foundation of it amongst our leaders, but this is still American. And it's still passing away, and it seems to be moving really fast toward that cliff. America is a kingdom of this world, and the church is a part of a different kingdom. This doesn't mean I can't sing, God Bless America. That's a prayer, right? God, please bless us. This doesn't mean I can't take pride in our flag. That flag has blessed countries around this globe and offered them freedom in a sense. And I love that. This does not mean that I am not heartbroken or grieved over abortion and transgender issues and these things that seem to be just eating away at that biblical foundation that we once had. Well, what's the answer? The answer is in verse 37. Jesus said, I am the king of truth, and everyone who hears the truth is my subject. Pilate said, are you a king? Jesus said, yes. Yes, I am. So then Pilate says this in verse 38. We'll end our time here. Like every cynic, he goes, what is truth? He didn't say What is truth? And we know that because it says immediately he left. So he said, what is truth? And he walks out, Pilate walks out and takes Jesus, the king of truth, and he pairs him up with Barabbas, a murderer and a thief. And he goes out to the people and says, who do you want? I'll give you what you want. And the children of God said, give us Barabbas. Truth. John chapter 10 says this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. listen are you are you a child of the king are you a child of the king of truth the bible tells us that that was given to us by god as our good shepherd and we can understand the truth if he has done that work in our heart and if you know the truth you follow jesus christ let me ask you this morning do you know jesus christ as the king of your country have you ever come to a point where you recognize that you are a sinner, and no matter how good you think you may be, you will perish because of your sin? But Jesus came and offered full and free forgiveness for all who will put their trust in him. Listen, the plan of salvation is not difficult to understand. It wasn't easy But it is simple. You're a sinner. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I would beg you this morning. Some of you I've never met before. I don't know anything about you. I just beg you this morning to ask yourself the question, am I a Christian, a child of the King? Am, have I trusted in Christ alone as my substitute for the penalty of sin? We teach our kids here to remember this with an ABC Accept that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he came to die on the cross, that he was raised again after three days and offers you full forgiveness. And then see his call on the name of the Lord. Have you called? What does it mean to call? It means to cry out for salvation. Jesus Christ, I am trusting in you. Save me. Christian, are you an American first or a Christian first? Where is your priorities? Where is your effort? Where is your heart? What are you giving yourself for? As we head into a new year, let's commit ourselves to the ministry of the gospel.